This is our, what is it, three weeks into coronavirus lockdown. I hope everybody's doing all right and figuring this out some. Remembering Christ taught us we cannot live on bread alone or anything else alone. We need his words to sustain us, to be with us, to hold us, to keep us. So even in lockdown, we're going to be giving ourselves to the words of scripture on Sundays. Specifically, this big theme, that time that Paul was on lockdown. We're working through the words of the biblical book to the Christians in the city of Philippi. We're doing it because these words were written while the author was locked down. He was socially distanced from everybody that he loved and all of his regular work rhythms he was working, but remote, not because of coronavirus, but because he was on house arrest, but still it's a similar circumstance. And so here's what we're asking together. How did he, by the spirit, get through a season like that? And how can they help us get through it? Remember the big three things we do not want you to miss in every passage from this book. Number one was this, we are expecting him to be troubled, to just be like, I'm losing it. But instead we get, he's content. I'm good. Number two, we were expecting him to be depressed, down, sullen. But instead we get optimistic, hopeful. And then the third one was, we are expecting him to be paralyzed, but instead he is busy and active. He is giving himself to whatever gospel work he can get done in that unusual place. So content and optimistic and busy. What if those were the words that marked your life, my life, and the life of our church in this season? That's what we're asking for. All right, we've read the words of scripture. We're going to work them together. Here's the big idea that we want you to feel today. Here it is. As long as Christ is being proclaimed and the gospel is advancing, we're good. As long as Christ is being proclaimed and his gospel is advancing, we're good. All right, we're going to work the words of the text together. A little bit different. We're going to start in the middle where Paul gives us the big why of his imprisonment. So here's what he said in the middle of the text. He said, I am put here in jail for the defense of the gospel. If you've never heard this before, please hear it. The gospel is the deliriously good news that through his perfect life, and his atoning death, and his vindicating resurrection from that death, Christ has dealt with the curse of sin in our lives and on this world, and that he is making all things new, all of them, beginning with us, and that because of this, it is Christ, not Caesar, not you, not me, not anybody else, who is Lord. That's the gospel. And Paul was in jail for confessing that. Now, what's so crazy is that at first, 
he was not a defender of the gospel. He was a destroyer of the gospel. He went at the gospel like I go at Laker fans, just like that. He wanted to end its existence from the earth. He thought it was an intellectual joke. He thought it was a theological blasphemy. In fact, he was the one who was arresting others for preaching the gospel. But then Christ revealed his glory to this man and not only made him a believer, but an apostle of the gospel. It's a wild 180. And so now he's not the one doing the arresting. He's the one being arrested for Christ. And now the one thing that is the most important in his whole life was this gospel. Whatever else happened, if the gospel advanced, it was a win. This is what success looked like for his life in his mind. One of the things we always talk about with any mission or ministry initiative at Seven Mile Road is this. We ask the question, what does success look like? What is the big win? For example, we had this sweet conversation with 16 of you who are committed to the uh, musical life of our church on Sunday night. And we were working with you and getting ready to invite people into recommending songs. And I, I wrote down when I went into that meeting, here is the big win for me. It would be having those who are the most invested in the song life of our church, shaping the way that our pastors communicate the essentials of song. That was my big win, that they would partner with us to help us to do this well, because they own it as much as we do. Whatever else happened that night in that meeting, if that happened, I was good. You feel that? For Paul, if he wrote one sentence for his life and said, here's the big win, it was this, the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. If that happened, he was good. Okay, I can't see you, but I'm going to assume you got that, because if you do, now we can move to the big thoughts of the text. All right, Paul was on lockdown, but not everyone else was. You guys know about the Patriot way, right? Next man up is one of the phrases. If one guy gets hurt, the next guy just steps up. That's exactly what happened in this story. Paul was silenced, so a bunch of others stepped up and started preaching Christ more boldly than ever. But what's really weird, really odd, is that some of them did it from pure motives, but some not pure at all. Okay, let's work the good guys first. Here's what this said about the good guys. It said, some preach Christ from goodwill, out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Isn't this so sweet? There was this whole crew of brothers and sisters and partners and friends and co-workers. They loved Paul. They loved the gospel. When they saw that he got arrested for the gospel, they weren't ashamed. They weren't embarrassed. They weren't intimidated. 
they weren't scared. They did not bail on him and go like, wait, wait, Paul who? Who? I don't know that guy. Ixnay on the all pay. That's not what they did. They went, okay, Paul's in jail, but we're not. So it's our turn to proclaim Christ. Last year at this time, last February, March, and April, uh, the church gave me a three-month pastoral leave to be 100% available to Grace and to our crew as we walk through some of her treatments together last year. That was weird. That meant that for three months, I did not say a gospel word out loud in public, not one. But do you know what happened in my absence? Some of my brothers stepped up in love for me, in love for the gospel. Tim, McCann, Ajay came in from Philly, Moran came in from Buffalo. My heart surged listening to those sermons during those 90 days. I cannot tell you how loved I felt. These guys had my back. They loved the church and the gospel as much as I did, and they loved me. I was off stage, but whatever, the gospel didn't skip a beat. That's these words on your screen right now. Some preach Christ out of goodwill and love, knowing we're on the same page, and it's beautiful. All right, but then there was this whole other thing going on. Here's what he said on the other side of this, these words. Some preach Christ. Next slide. From envy and rivalry out of selfish ambition, insincerely thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Whoa. All right, so not every preacher and teacher and influencer in the early church loved Paul. I don't know if you know this or not. So we know this is true in our day. If I had one roll of toilet paper for every slander of the Apostle Paul by modern day theologians, I would be the king of the United States of America right now. We love to malign this man's character and his doctrine. What is true in our day was just as true in his. So there's this whole other crew. And when they heard that he got arrested, they beamed. It was fist bumps all around. They were texting each other the biggest smile emojis they could find. And here's what they thought. You know what would really burn Paul up right now? Is if we ramped up our gospel preaching. If our numbers increased, if our podcast downloads skyrocketed, if our following surged while he was locked up, now's our chance. We're going to show people who the real preachers are. That is ugly, right? Can you feel the ugly pile of words on the screen right now? Not love, not goodwill. Envy, rivalry, selfish ambition, insincerity, 
thinking to afflict him in his imprisonment. All right, how would we say this in Bostonian? We would say what? We would say they were trying to kick him while he was down. I need everybody to feel this. It is possible for someone to preach the good gospel from a bad place. Illustration, years ago, there was a church in our network and they were expanding from one city to another. Already another church that was doing really good gospel work. And the absolute saddest thing happened. Instead of the church that was coming in, partnering with the church that was already there, humbly saying, hey, we're with you for the gospel, for the city. How can we learn from you, serve with you, work alongside you? You know what the incoming pastor said to his team? He told his team, we're going to hand pastor so-and-so his butt once we get there. We're going to come in and show him what it looks like to plant a real church. Do you feel that? That's these words on this screen. Envy, rivalry, selfish ambition. That's what was happening with some of these preachers, and it was awful. All right, so he lays out these two situations, the good and the bad ugly. And then he asks this simple rhetorical question. Here it is on your screen. He goes, what then? What then? Okay, what is everybody on this Zoom call expecting him to say next? What are we expecting him to say? We are totally expecting him to go. I was so happy to hear about those who preach the gospel in love for me. And I was bent, bothered frustrated, pacing, angry, when I heard about those who were preaching the gospel to stick it to me. That's what you're expecting, right? You would figure that he would say, you guys should support and celebrate those who are preaching the gospel from pure motives. And you should expose and silence those who are preaching the gospel from not so good motives. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to send them for a ride with Clemenza and we'll take care of this. That's what we're expecting. But that is not what we get. Instead, we get these words, let them wash over your soul. What then? Only that in every way whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. This is unbelievable. Please tell me that you feel this. He says, I don't care how the gospel goes forward or who gets the credit or what was driving the gospeler. Just tell me that Christ was proclaimed. His death and his resurrection his glory, his power, his grace, his love for sinners. Tell me that happened. 
and I'm good. Either way, Paul is beaming. Why? Because the gospel wins. All right, last week we did themed prayer every night of the week. And one of those nights was lament. We lamented together all of the sorrows and the losses that all of us are experiencing in this unexpected pandemic. One of the laments that was mentioned was this one. There might not be a baseball season or a softball season. And we have a bunch of kids who love baseball and softball. Uh, two of our girls were about to step into their freshman year. And what a lament it would be if that got cut in half or didn't happen at all. And so we lamented that. So in love for all those kids, I want to hit a baseball analogy to bring this home with you. All right. Imagine we had a center fielder who played for the Sox. And he was not only an awesome individual player, but uh, you know, crazy stats, fantasy freak. But he was also the kind of guy who doesn't care about any of that. What he cares about is his team winning, that guy. All right, now imagine there's a relief pitcher on the Yankees. And he hated our team, and he hated our guy, personally hated him. He wanted nothing more than to personally hurt him. All right. Now imagine it's the bases loaded. It's the bottom of the ninth. Our guy gets up. We score, we win. And the pitcher on the Yankees says to himself, here's my chance. Finally, I'm going to throw a fastball 99 miles an hour right at this guy's face. I'm going to knock him out. I'm going to get him. And he leans back, boom, and he does it. Imagine the ball hits our guy right in the face, spits out his two front teeth, and just knocks him out cold in the batter's box. The trainer runs out. He scoops up his teeth. He puts the smelling salts under his nose. And a minute later, our guy comes to. What happens next? Here's what happens next. He goes, did we win? And the trainer goes, yeah, we won. And then our guy cracks the biggest, widest, toothless grin that you have ever seen. Why does that happen? Because he doesn't care whether it was him who hit a home run to win the game. And he doesn't care that he's lost a couple of teeth. And he doesn't care that he's got to do concussion protocol. And he doesn't care if he didn't do anything at all. His joy is wrapped up in his team winning. That is the spirit of these words. Yes, Paul's on lockdown. He's silenced. He's losing popularity and fame and influence. He might have lost a couple of teeth in there to the guards. And yet, he's beaming because all that matters to him is that Christ is being made known. Oh, man. 
All right, let's land the plane with three takeaways. Here we go. We'll drop them on the screen for you. Number one is this. Let's receive a warning. It is possible to hype pure gospel from impure motives. Let's resolve right now. We will not be that church. Let's pay careful attention to ourselves as intensely as we do to our doctrine. You with me? Let's do that. All right, number two, let's receive these words as a comfort. Here it is. God can advance the gospel even through those who are not perfectly pure in their motives. So this is precious to me for two reasons. One is that my conversion and my wife's conversion to Christ depend upon this truth. Grace and I were one to the gospel by the Spirit at a church on the Revere Beach Parkway in Revere. Um, I hate it, but it's a truth that there were major issues with the motivation of the pastoral team there. Uh, if you were there, you would nod your head and say, yes, there was an obsession with pastoral success. There was a competitiveness against other churches in the city and in the denomination. I'm, I'm not going to grieve you with the stories. And yet, the glorious basics of the gospel, they were preached there. I'm not saying the theology and the polity was perfect. I am saying that in the midst of all of that, Christ was exalted and celebrated and heralded, and it changed our lives. So I have these super mixed emotions whenever I drive down to the beach past the church. There's always a little bit of grief in there. So many people were hurt. So much good could have been done. But do you know what my primary emotion is? It's the emotion of this text. It is joy. I don't think I have ever driven by 1075 Revere Beach Parkway and not smiled. In that building, my heart came alive to Christ. This is true because God is not handcuffed by a lack of holiness in the preacher to get the gospel across. And of course, you can imagine how much of a mega comfort this truth is to me as a preacher. So I do what I can to try to prepare my soul when I talk with you in this setting. But if I got up every Sunday and I thought, the impact of the teaching hinged on how holy I was. If that was how this worked, I would literally quit right now. These would be the last words you would ever hear from me. But praise God, that's not how this works. True gospel advance is not stopped because of imperfections or sin in the gospeler. True gospel advance doesn't come to a halt because we don't have a perfect preacher. We have a perfect Savior. And if we have that, it's all good. Let that be a comfort to you today. Okay, and then last one, a challenge. Ask yourself the question, are you glad whenever the gospel advances, no matter what 
part you play in it? So it's a two-part question. One, I'm serious. Are you glad when the gospel advances? Does that thrill your soul? Does that blow you away? Does that cause you to smile and sing, put on the soundtrack to Saturday Night Fever and dance? Do you get the kind of joy that Paul got in hearing that Christ was proclaimed? Please tell me that's the biggest win in your life. And then even deeper, are you glad whenever the gospel advances, whatever part you had in it? So like this is so easy for me to say right now, I'm the one who's getting to herald gospel. But would it matter for me or for you, whether we played a big part or a small part? Or do we just go, hey, the big win is not me. The big win is Christ. May that be where we land. All right, let's pray together. Father, I pray that the heart of Seven Mile Road would be this big win, just this, this one. That Christ was made known. So we'll do whatever it takes and fight whatever sin it takes and give whatever money it takes and love whoever we need to love and work as hard as we need to work that this might happen. But we can tell you right now, Lord, we will not be perfect. Our motives will not be pure. We are sinners and it's bad, but we have a great comfort that you can accomplish good work through not great people. I also pray that we would be so happy anytime the gospel advances anywhere, whether we touched that or not. Give us that kind of a heart. Make it be, make it be. I pray that these words would be grounded today and forward in the soul of our church for your glory, for our joy, for the good of many. Hear our prayer this remote Sunday morning and answer. I pray that you would do it. Amen.